Good morning and welcome. In your uh, bulletin, you have a little flyer there. We just wanted you to see the financial status of the church. And we're very grateful. As you can see, we're very healthy. Um, Thanks to you, by the way. You're the ones that make it healthy. We also give you there kind of our outreach with benevolence and food bank and mission support. You know, some of you have heard the story that... When I first received the packet uh, and an inquiry about um, interviewing for the senior pastor position, they sent me all this information. The very first thing I looked at was a financial statement. Um, I've said I've been saying for the last several weeks that that I can step into your family and only spend just a few moments, and I can describe what your family is like. I know what your values are. I can tell if you're harsh, if you're generous, if you're affectionate, if you're gentle. It doesn't take long. When I'm sitting with you for coffee and talking about your marriages, I can tell what type of marriages you have by the verbs that you use with each other. And if walking through the workforce, I can tell what type of employee or boss that you are. And so all I have to do is look in your checkbook, and I can tell what your priorities are. So when I got the packet from the church, the very first thing I did was pull out the financial statements. I called Nancy. She was around the corner. I said, hey, Nance, come here and look at this. And all these things you see here, all the ways that this church gives, I realized that this is a generous church. And there's a, however the DNA was built, I didn't build it. I was already here when I got here. This, you're a church that loves to, loves to give. And that has proven true. I'm coming up on six years in May. And that has proven true. So this is just a statement of where we are for the first six months of our fiscal year. And on behalf of the elders and staff, thank you for making this a reality. Making it possible for us to continue to do the things that we do that we love doing. And uh, you're the ones that make it possible. Thank you for that. So I think I'd like to stop and just pray. Thank the Lord for what he's done. Father, thank you for this church. <clears throat> Lord, we, we're not perfect, but we sure love you. And we delight in your spirit being with us. And all that we do, you, we delight, Lord, in, in giving back to you, partnering with you, loving the people that are important to us, the ones that... We live with day to day. Thank you for uh, making us the church that we are. Thanks for smiling and thanks for being present with us today as we jump into uh, this whole concept of holiness. So bless us and thanks for laughing at us as we try to make sense out of who you are. Uh, We love you deeply. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're in a series on holiness. And we've been asking the very fundamental question... Is holiness a positive or a negative for you when you hear that term? When you hear the term holiness, does it make you think, ah, more rules and requirements, you feel that weight? Or when you hear the word holiness, do you think of an invitation to the Lord? I think of it as an invitation to the Lord into a deeper walk with Him. That if we live the lives that He's asked us to live, that we will enjoy Him more. And we'll enjoy each other more. Remember, Proverbs gives us two pathways, describes two pathways. One is the pathway of righteousness, and the other one is the pathway of foolishness. 
The pathway of foolishness promises a lot of excitement and fun and instant gratification. Let's be honest, it does. It delivers. Not very long, but it delivers. Pretty soon you're in trouble again. Um, Like you, I am drawn to sin. If I'm not careful, boy, it's so easy. This other pathway is a little bit more challenging because you have to learn to say no. You have to learn to say no. And that goes against everything the world is telling us. That's why it's so difficult. I have become convinced after quite some of paying close attention to the media, I've become convinced that I trust the media this much. Whatever they say, I assume the opposite. It's really interesting. I heard a very short interview with Denzel Washington this week. He's walking on the whatever the red carpet thing is. Apparently, if you're important, you get a red carpet. You notice I don't have one. No carpet at all, right? Love this wood. I don't deserve it. That's exactly right. So he's walking on this, and all the media just descend on him. And I love Denzel Washington. I love his movies. I love it when he's the good guy and the bad guys lose. I love all that stuff. Anyway, they come up and they said, Denzel Washington, you're the subject of fake news this week. And he goes, I am? Really? When am I going to be the next president? Am I going to get an Oscar? What are they saying about me? And you can picture him doing that if you know him. And and they kind of calmed down. They said, well, no, you're just a product of fake news. And he goes, oh, does that bother you? He said, well, here's what I've learned. If you don't listen to the news, you're uninformed. If you do listen to it, you're misinformed. Is that brilliant? That is exactly the truth. When I read something in the Bible, here's what I know. If it's telling me to do something, number one, I'm not going to want to do it. That's called, ah, there it is again. What's inside? I'm not going to want to do it. Number two, is this going to be more challenging than it seems? Love your enemies? Really? I got to do that? (laughs) But Lord, do you know my enemies? Some of them are sitting right here. No, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The guy in the pink shirt in the back there. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So it's going to be hard to do. I'm not going to want to do it. But if I, by faith and trust in the Spirit and move in that direction, I begin to experience more joy. That's what I know. God wouldn't tell us to do it if it wouldn't be hard. Because the natural part of us wants to move in a completely different direction. That's what holiness is all about. You see, God created us to do to live life a certain way. And that means saying no to the things that the world finds attractive. It says saying it means saying no to the things our natural impulses. And learning over time that what it means under the power of the Spirit to shift that mindset very slowly and to develop impulses that are right, that are positive, to let that intuition be shaped in Christ. That's why elders are called elders. It's not because they're old, although some of them are. (laughs) No names. No, it's because they've lived life a long time under the power of the Spirit. And their natural inclination, their natural intuition is spirit-driven. 
That's why this church needs elders like that. Men and women that have lived the life long enough, have served the Lord long enough, that have tasted of his goodness and have seen what he does. That's what holiness is. And the more you practice living a holy life, the more joy you experience, the deeper your walk with the Lord, and the more you enjoy each other. That's what holiness is all about. It's an invitation to live life the way we're created. That's what it means. So last week we asked the question, what was the purpose of the law? If the law could not save, what was its purpose? We're going to come back to this in just a second, but we looked at Romans 5 where the law actually increases sin. It multiplies it. It makes it bigger and bigger. Bigger and bigger. And that sounds kind of strange. God would do that? Yeah, you see, God wanted a people who would love him freely. If he made us love him, we'd be robots. So he wanted a people who would made us who would love him freely, so he gave us free will. I love free will. I love it. He gave us free will, knowing full well what we would do with it. Sure enough, we did it. Okay? And so the law became a very gracious act of God in the midst of a very sinful people. because it did several things. It exposed our sin. That's what it did. And that's why I said I could step into your families and look at the rules that you... Every one of you has rules in your family. Every one of you. You can't help it. You're you're designed by that, created by God to have rules. I can look in your family, I can look in your workplace, I can look in your marriage and see the rules that you put in place. And that tells me about your character. Well, the law revealed God's character. First of all, uh, in the ancient dark world... The gods never spoke. You had to guess. Better guess right, because you don't want the gods angry with you. And our God said, here, boom, here it is. So that's an act of grace right there. But furthermore, the law was not very difficult. It was very easy to follow. We've talked about that. Any law, take any law, read it, all the way through the Pentateuch. Take any law. You could obey any law. No law was that complex. No law was impossible. Every law was easy, and every law was clear. It wasn't ambiguous. You didn't have to guess. It was very clear. We found out that what that law exposed to us is that the problem is not the law. The problem is right here. This is the problem. Right here. I suspect if you've had teenagers, you have some pretty clear laws. It doesn't help you one bit. Am I right? I was a teenager. If you don't know my story, let's go out and have coffee. I got caught by the police 18th time on my 18th birthday. I was definitely the black sheep in my family. That's enough. <laughs> it didn't matter what the laws said. I am naturally inclined to go the opposite direction. And furthermore, I find joy in going the opposite direction. I think they now call that oppositional personality disorder. <laughs> We're wired, I'm wired that way. And the law exposed that. The law exposed it. The law revealed the truth about who I am. That's an act of grace by God. That's an act of grace. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Today we're going to have to ask the question, the follow-on question. If salvation is by grace and the law was given to reveal our sin, 
Is that all there is? Is there anything more to life than that? We focus so heavily on the cross. And again, don't, don't hear me degrade the cross. The cross is very significant. But we focus so heavily on it that sometimes we forget there's a whole lot more apps. Is that all there is? What more is there to life? And yet, in spite of all that, um, we're enslaved to sin and we're reconciled at the same time. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Uh, many of these verses will be up on there. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were sinners, or for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Okay, pause. Here's an example. Here's a model of why we should love our enemies. For if while we were God's enemies, at the very moment we were his enemies, he chose to love us. That is powerful. Here's a perfect example with Jesus doing what he's asking us to do, to love our enemies. There's a reason for that. So if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been reconciled. That is wonderful news. And yet we are still enslaved. At least it feels that way. Why? Romans 5. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. You see, we got trapped, didn't we? There's a trap right there. Every one of you sins. In the first service, I started naming off names like Tim Glasgow. <laughs> Rob Schmidt. Oh, there's Brett. I can't leave Brett out of the equation. I know you guys. Zach. Sorry, Zach. Notice how I'm picking on the men. Josh. There's Josh. There's another one. I know you guys. I know what sinners you are. I know that. And yet, here we are. We're kind of stuck, aren't we? We're kind of trapped, aren't we? It's not a comfortable place to be. The purpose of the law was to reveal our sin with the result that grace would increase as well. This is the end of chapter 5. The law was brought in so that the trespass or the sin might increase. It might grow. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is he talking about perfection here? No, he's talking about who's on the throne. That's what he's talking about. You know, it's interesting in Romans 9, but if we were to look at Romans 9, 10, 11, you know what he says about the Jewish people? Yeah, you failed. They shouldn't be surprised. Every prophet predicted it. Because you see, if you had not failed, there would be no need for God. You would get the glory. God chose a people 
He could have picked any nation, and they all would have done the same. He chose the people who he knew was going to fail. Same is true with us. Because that's when God steps in. As Paul says, when I am weak, then he is strong. And it's specifically in, through our failings where his glory is revealed the most. And so the law exposed that sinfulness. It exposed this right here. So that we could begin that journey of learning how to walk by faith. Because we are walking by faith. Which means we can't really see what's coming. We can't see clearly beyond a couple of steps. Otherwise, we wouldn't need faith. And so that resulted in the glory of the Lord being, being revealed as well. So Paul asks a legitimate question in Romans 5 there. So should we keep on sinning so that grace would, would increase as well? Because grace does increase. The answer is no, absolutely not. No way. Are you kidding? Absolutely not. And we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute and see why. So the final answer, should we keep sinning so that grace might increase? Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's logical. That is what's going to happen if you keep sinning. So why don't we keep sinning? Should we do it? Absolutely not. This is a very, very strong, uh, absolutely not. No way. There's a lot better ways to see grace increase. And sin is not one of them. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Something better has come beyond redemption. Yeah, we do focus on the cross. Here it is, right here, communion. We say it every, every Sunday, don't we? On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We do celebrate the cross, but that's not the final answer. That's the beginning of the journey. Something far better than our redemption has come. You know what that is? Freedom. 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 You see, what the cross did was forgive our sin, cleanse the temple to allow for Pentecost. And you know what Pentecost is? God taking up residence with us permanently. The coming of the Spirit. That's what he made us for. That's what he longed for all along, was to be with us. When you get to Revelation 21 and 22, guess where Jesus is? Right smack in the middle of us on the new earth for eternity. God made us because he wants to live with us. And so the cross cleansed us. It forgave sin. It atoned for sin. It dealt with sin and cleansed us so that at Pentecost, 50 days later, he could move into his temple permanently. We are his temple. So the cross is very vitally important, but it points to something bigger. And that bigger is God taking up residence with us. It's called freedom. It's called freedom. I mentioned last week that Romans is interacting with the Pentateuch every step of the way. And so Romans 5 is dealing with the enslavement. That's Exodus 1 and 2. They were enslaved under the Egyptians, and then God leads them out in the Exodus. And where they begin to experience freedom, he leads them out from underneath the slave master called the Egyptians. And so it makes sense that in Romans 6, that's the very next thing he's going to address, is this Exodus and this freedom. Freedom. 
So for Paul, he captures this image of our freedom through baptism. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they were all passed through the sea. So this is crossing the Red Sea following the leadership of God. It came in the form of a cloud. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So you see for Moses, baptism is a metaphor to understand Exodus. This is the story of the Exodus right out of Exodus, the book. They all went through the Red Sea. He destroyed the Egyptian army. They were given their freedom. And so he uses baptism as a metaphor to help us understand that that's what's happening. We have been granted our freedom. So now back to Romans 6. Christ, baptism into Christ, represents this exodus which is true and new and which they look forward to. So this is Romans 6. First four verses. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay? We were baptized into his death just like he died. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead. Now we take the resurrection for granted. We've heard it our whole lives. But if you didn't know about the resurrection, this is startling. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's why we were saved. That's why we were redeemed to live a new life. And so what is this new life? It's freedom. I'm going to read quickly, so don't try to follow along. These are, these are a whole bunch of verses out of Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 2, we've died to sin. I just read that to you. Romans 6, 4, we live a new life. That's the reason. I just read that to you. Let's go on. Romans 6, 6, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6, 7, we've been set free from sin. Romans 6, 14, we are no longer under the law. Romans 6.17, we used to be slaves to sin. Romans 6.18, but now we've been set free from sin. Romans 6.20, we used to be slaves to sin. Romans 6.22, we've been set free from sin. Picture this. This is how the language, the technical language that he's using. I am a slave and I'm owned by somebody and I'm on the dock. My master wants to sell me. Um, he wants to sell me to someone else. Maybe he needs some money. So all, the, all of you masters out there, you all bid, and one of you gets me, I now belong to you. I'm now a new slave for you. That's the picture used. Sin owns me and auctioned me off to Jesus, who redeemed me, who paid the price, who bought me, and I became his slave, and then he set me free. Amen. That's the Christian message. That's it. Freedom. Look at Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know what that yoke of slavery is? The law. We don't do you a good service when we bring you into Christ and try and give you a whole new set of laws. That doesn't help you at all. 
You think 613 commands are a lot? Sit down and write out what the commands of our church are. Most of them are nonverbal. They're not written down. Okay? We have them. Better not do this. Better not do that. Every church has them. We're not doing you much of a service when we replace one law with another law. That's why I operate from the principle, the one thing I cannot do is bring about conviction of sin. That is not a my created design set. That's strictly, uniquely the role of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm sitting listening to you talk about your sin, by the way, thank you for those of you that have come forward and been honest about the things that you're struggling. One of the questions I've asked several of you is, so why are you telling me this? Something inside here provoking that? That's called the Holy Spirit. Your conscience is alive. And the Holy Spirit is doing His part. I don't have to try to convict you. I already know that that it won't take very long and you're going to recognize that your life is pretty messed up. That's what sin does. You start cheating on your spouse, it doesn't take very long, and you're in trouble. All right? Start looking at pornography, especially if you get caught. I got caught once. It doesn't take very long before you realize you're in trouble, doesn't it? Start embezzling funds. It doesn't take very long, and you find yourself back in prison. Literally, as well as metaphorically. I don't have to convict you. The Holy Spirit does a great job on His own. So when I sit and have coffee with you, one of the questions I'm asking is, are you aware of your sin? If not, I'm happy to just keep walking along the journey. No condemnation, no judgment. Waiting for the Holy Spirit to do His part. Because you have freedom. You have freedom. That's the wonderful thing about Christianity. We have replaced the law with the Spirit. Or as it says, you used to be under law, now you're under grace. That's what that means. Oh, I don't like it when you sin. Don't get me wrong, and I don't mind asking hard questions, so why are you doing that? Is it getting you what you want? Several of you have asked that question. Is is it leading you where you want to go? I never have anybody say, yep, man, I love sleeping with another woman. (laughs) Okay, well, let's just wait another six months and we'll ask the question again. It's only a matter of time. As one man told me, life really sucks. I'm married and sleeping with another woman. Now I have financial stress all over the place and two people that aren't happy with me. Yeah, right. That's the wrong direction to move in. So is it making you happy? He said, no, I'm not happy at all. Welcome to the life of sin. You see, God is trying to protect us, not control us. There's a difference. And that's all I'm trying to do as well. I don't want control of your life. I have enough trouble on my own life. Freedom. That's what you've been given. And that includes the freedom to sin. By the way, no other religion has this at its core. None. It's all about rules and regulations. It's not about that. Galatians 5, we have been set free. But that freedom doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. 
I'm going to read to you the middle of Romans 6. By the way, this is the first place that imperatives or commands appear in the book of Romans. Everything up until now has been an explanation of our life, which describes us pretty well. Now he gives us a couple of things to do. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. That's resurrection. No long, death no longer has mastery over him. Folks, it's coming. Death is going to be behind us one day. Praise Jesus. I can't wait. I'm getting older. I don't like that. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life lives, he lives to God. Therefore, in the same way, here's the first imperative. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a thought problem. Convince yourself Tell yourself over and over and over again, I don't have to sin. I can say no. The very first command has to do with the way you think about things. Think about it. Tell yourself. Get that inner conversation going. Talk to yourself. I won't think you're mentally ill. I don't have to sin. I have died to sin. Imperative number two, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let sin keep stay on the throne. That's what reigning is all about. Somebody's in charge. Sin is not in charge. Stop it. That's the choice that you have. And that takes practice and takes the power of the Spirit. Number three, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. There's the fourth one. As those who have been brought from death to life. And by the way, this is plural. He's talking to us as a church. Let's practice putting sin aside. And offer every part of yourself, not most of you, not a little bit of you, as much as you're able, offer all of you to the Lord as an instrument of righteousness. These are the first imperatives of Romans. By the way, this is a fulfillment of what happened way back at Mount Sinai, right after the Exodus. When they're sitting at the base of the mountain, he hasn't even given them the law yet. And he speaks to the nation for the first time. They saw the effects of the the. Uh, of this God that their new God they're learning about through the, uh, the ten plagues. They saw the effects as he utterly destroyed the gods of Egypt. Now they hear from him. And you know what he says? Out of all the nations on the earth, you, you will be my prized possession. If you obey me fully, I will make you kingdom of priests to mediate for the rest of the nations. I'll make you a holy nation. I will make you the picture that all the world can look at and see. If you obey me fully. Did they obey? No, they failed, didn't they? Let's go all the way down here to the other end. First Peter 2. Peter quotes this verse and you know what he says? You are God's favored, treasured possession. You are a holy priesthood. A kingdom of priests, a royal nation. What's the difference between back here when he says, if you obey me fully, and down here when he says, you are? It's now a statement of who we are. What happened? Jesus, the Spirit. That's what happened. 
Paul's just using different language to say the same thing right here. This is what we are all about. This is what holiness is all about. Sin no longer is our master. We can now choose to live that kind of life if we want to. If we want to. I'm going to read something out of here. It's a book I'm reading. Uh, Manifesto for Theological Interpretation. You'd all find it riveting. God's way of carrying out His redemptive plan is to choose a people to whom He promises a blessing that comes as He rescues them from sin's devastating curse and restores them to the fullness of the life He created them for. There's a blessing involved in saying no. However, they are not chosen only to be a recipient of God's redemptive work, but to also be a channel of that blessing to others. This is what our freedom brings. Responsibility. Participation in God's salvation necessarily in participation in His mission to the world. God's renewing work is always in a people for the sake of the whole world. Specifically, they are called to be a display people who exhibit an attractive and holy life that is visible before the nations as they manifest God's original creational intent for human life, they are a sign. That's us. You are a sign of the coming kingdom of God at the end of history. That's what freedom is all about. In just a minute, I'm going to show you a video. <clears throat> this was uh, just last week in Nepal. Uh, of what it means to be free. Okay? What it means to be free. You're going to see a young lady in the video. Uh, when it pans to the center, there's a young lady wearing a, a black top. Uh, cute as could be. She is 20 years old. She's in her final year of college, getting ready to graduate college. She came to Christ at 17. So three years ago, she became my student. She, On the day she accepted Christ, her parents found out. Her dad took her, took everything she owned away from her, kicked her out of the house. Took her money, her ID, wouldn't let her have even a change of clothing. She only has one set of clothing. And said, at 17, said, you no longer exist. That's Hinduism. In case you're wondering if Hinduism is peaceful, she's like one of 12 that have this similar story in this particular class. Okay? That's how peaceful it is. Yeah. You're not worth anything to me. Kick you right out. So she doesn't know where to go. She's a brand new Christian. So she just cries and prays and starts wandering through the streets. And in a couple of villages over, a Christian family ran into her, recognized what was happening, took her in, reconstituted her identity and gave her some money. Next thing I know, two months later, she's sitting in the classroom as my young student. Okay, her family, her children have not talked, her sisters and brothers have not talked to her since that time. Um, one of the things that the tribe she belongs to, it's a very remote tribe up in the Himalayas, one of the things that they are known for is that the husbands, the fathers, prostitute, sexually prostitute the wives and daughters to make money so they don't have to work so hard. Okay? So last fall, her mom called her and said, we'd like you to come, uh, come home and visit us. And she's all excited because it's the first time they've made contact. So she goes home and they lock her in the bedroom. They sold her to a 60-year-old Hindu man who needs more revenue. She's not property. She's owned by another man. Do these things happen in the world all around us? Yes, they do. She managed to escape out the window 
and runs for her life a couple of villages over to the Christian family. They hide her. The police go door to door looking for her because she's broken the law. She's property. She now belongs to this 60-year-old man. She's only 20. She makes her way back to the school where she sits and tells me the story. Okay, you want to see freedom? This is freedom. Watch this. By God's grace, most of you don't know what you were rescued from in our country. I'm thankful for that. That's a picture of freedom. That could have been you. Her story is not unique. I've heard variations of this many times over the last 20 years of teaching overseas in Hindu countries. She's not alone in the school. There's 12 other girls with a very similar story to her. Having shown you the pictures of the girls that we have kidnapped out of the sex trade and those that we've purchased out of the sex trade. That could be us. I hope that produces in you a sense of gratitude. It's very popular in our world today to talk about we don't look very different than the people around us, the church, and that's a criticism. Uh, I actually think it's a blessing. If you want to look different than the world around you, come with me, and you'll look very different. Christians look very different in that culture. Is that what you want? To live in that type of culture? I don't. I'm thankful for 200 years of Christian influence in the United States and and what that has produced in the way of values. All those people out there, they're living out values that they don't even know are Christian. Dignity, morality. They don't even know where that came from. It came from the church. That's where it came from. And it has influenced our culture. Are we moving in the right? I'll tell you what, we still have somebody holds to that are better than almost every other country in the world. Because we have those values. But at the same time, I understand what people are saying. We've become like the world. How should we express ourselves? I would suggest that it comes in two places. Number one is the expression of freedom to live our lives as Christians and not be ashamed to tell people. And second of all is the true joy that comes by knowing that could be us. Right there. That's what freedom is. Freedom in Christ means that we are no longer enslaved. We have been given our freedom. That's the whole story of Romans 6. We're no longer slaves to sin. So the implied question which he keeps asking is, why on earth do you keep sinning? Some of you get it. Saved out of a life of alcoholism, drug abuse, You know where you came from. Immorality, drug use, that's me. I have a sense of where I came from. I don't ever want to go back. I don't want to pretend. My journey to Christ was very simple. 
I wrestled with him because I didn't know if I believed in him or not. It's really kind of funny. If you're real, I said to him over and over again, in the final days before I finally got on my knees and humbled myself, if you're real, I will give you my entire life. I don't want to play games. If you're not real, leave me alone. That was 41 years ago. Why do you keep sinning? Why? You don't have to. Practice. No. Trust the Holy Spirit. That's what freedom is all about. He's given us that freedom. That's Romans 6. He's given us the ability to live a holy life and really enjoy what he wanted us to enjoy. Father, thank you for your goodness. What more can we say? Thank you. In your son's name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering.